Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church online service. We are so happy to have you with us. Please be sure to follow NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to all our past messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. I want to continue our series here on the Holy Spirit, and we've been talking kind of about theology, which is, doesn't always kind of flow as easy as preaching, where you can kind of cook it up and, and hook it up and just kind of blow it up and, you know, throw in a ha! And you, you ever see those preachers that are like, and I want you uh, to say uh, today, uh, you didn't know I could preach like that, did you? I could totally cook it up, all oh, Pentecostal. But I always wondered, like, what would that be like if I get to heaven and I see Jesus? Oh, Lord, I'm so happy to be in heaven. And he'd be like, okay, glad you're here too. Come on, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I kind of defer more to a conversational, but, but there are friends of mine that preach like that, and that's natural for them. Uh, I, I'm kind of more a, a conversationalist. Uh, sometimes God shows up and throws the hammer down and, and amazing things happen in church, but most of the time we're throwing out seed of God's truth, and, and God has a way of letting that take root and grow if you let it settle deep in your heart. And uh, my hope is, is that we would really see a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit in, in our community. And uh, I, I, I've kind of... The word revival has so many preloaded connotations, but uh, New England was known for the Great Awakenings. And, you know, where the Holy Spirit showed up, and all of a sudden people were awoken to their sin. People were awoken to the reality that God wanted to be an everyday part of their life. People were awoken to the fact that Jesus is not just in heaven on the throne next to the Father, but the Holy Spirit is present. And and moving people to, to surrander their life completely. And uh, I'm believing that we would see another great awakening. With that in mind, just the other day, I saw a great movie for the first time, Jesus, uh, Jesus Revolution. Has anyone seen that? Just wave your hand. I, I am, I, I, this sounds bad to say this, but I am anti-Christian movie because so many times it's almost like the church tried so hard to take our culture and impose it on everybody else. But this is the first film I've seen in a long time. I'm like, this is really amazing. And uh, I'm familiar with Calvary Chapel. In fact, one of our speakers that's coming Missions Month, Daniel Messiah, who was on death row in Egypt for Missions Month in October, he's our first speaker. He came to us from Calvary Chapel, probably one of the greatest revivals or awakenings that um, America's ever seen. And it was during the Jesus Revolution when uh, hippies were, were totally all over the place, and Sandy, I saw you coming in here, you hippie you, and uh, I want you to wear bell bottoms one week and, uh, you know, just come in with your best hippie outfit, but uh, I, how the times change, and in the film, there was one comment that was made that really stood out to me, um, and, and it was, it was that he, the, this hippie was saying to the pastor, hey, you know, you look at our generation, and what, what I see is, is a whole generation of people that are lost looking for the right things in all of the wrong places. And when I think about the day that we live in, that hasn't changed. Our country, our world is filled with people that are trying to find satisfaction, um, significance, maybe selfishness, 
all kinds of things. They're looking for things, but they're looking in the wrong direction. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's no greater gift that you could have than the love of God working through you, where you're able to love people genuinely. And that's my prayers, that if there's any gift that God moves through our church in, it would be that we would exceed in the unconditional love of Jesus that would help God to do the work that he does. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts of the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but I think the church has tried too hard to engineer a message that tries to make people feel guilty and shameful rather than letting the Holy Spirit reveal that. Right now in this room, there are many of us who, even this week, we've sinned. And nobody needs to tell you because your heart is heavy from that shortcoming, that, that failure. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world. And, uh, so, and to save us from the wrath of God, believe it or not. The very one who should be punishing us is the very one who sent a means through Jesus to save us. And I just think that our world, our nation needs another great awakening. Our church, my life, your life, we need another great awakening. We really do. So if you'll pray with me, we are going to talk today uh, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm still kind of picking up my thinking uh, after the loss of my father and uh, um, so many different things going on that I wasn't even thinking, like pastor appreciation, normally you'd get somebody else to speak or you'd talk about pastors or this or that, and then I'm like, oh man. Um, and I, I was like, what was I thinking, you know? And uh, I'd also add to this that just because we talk about the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we have to see the Holy Spirit move in service today. I want to give you God's truth God's practical truth. He leads us. We talked last week about the leading of the Holy Spirit. The biggest way that he leads us is practical, and practically, and it is through this book. You want to understand the will of God. You want to understand the blessing of God. You need to be in the word of God, and no better statistic I've heard in a long time than Sienna, where she brought up the fact that if you read the Bible one, two, three times a week or not at all, hope, solutions, perseverance just withered. But if you read it four times a week or more, it was like there was this exponential increase. And I believe that that's when we allow our, our life to be fed on the word of God. The spirit of, of God and the word of God work together in our life and we see results. Right now in this place this morning, if you're anything like me, many of us probably are not fully satisfied with where we are at in our life or where we are at in our individual self. And I would propose to you that you can change that by letting God lead you practical through the Word of God, really. But then we also talked about how God leads us providentially, where all of a sudden we look at something more like, wow, that's just a pretty amazing coincidence. And then you realize that it's God putting all of these things in motion, that, that God isn't just looking at our life and we're deists and he spun the world and left us out there, but that he is actively involved in bringing about honor and glory to his name, bringing out uh, blessing and good things for his children. Sometimes he leads us into difficult places. He led Jesus into the wilderness where he was, uh, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. The devil tempted him there, but the Spirit led him there. Sometimes, like Job, we get led into a very difficult and suffering season. Following Jesus doesn't mean the absence of problems and all that, but the last thing and the last way that we talked about how the Holy Spirit leads is through the miraculous 
gifts of the Holy Spirit, or we said it this way, he, there is an aspect of Christianity that is mystical. If you can shred all the baggage of the negative thing and anything connected to UFOs and the occult off of that and understand we're speaking about the Spirit of God, there's just a mystery about who Jesus is where he just blows our heart and mind. And if you have grown up in any particular tradition of the church, you'll realize that your upbringing in church has shaped, or maybe not in church, has shaped the way that you think about this subject. And so I want God to talk to us today. It's gonna take, it's gonna take God to help us to see this in a way that it's clear and amazing. And... Uh, some of us are all in. We're like, we're actually very much a mystical kind of a person. And we're like, man, unless somebody has moved in a gift of the spirit or whatever, we haven't really had church. I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that view completely because, uh, you know, a full can doesn't shake and some of the deepest works that God does is below the surface like riptide. And he's pulling us into the ocean of, of all of the things that he has for our life, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. And here's the thing, too, is, is that some, the, the, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about these gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous, mystical leading of God, he also talks a lot about their proper use and their proper boundaries because it's very easy to be carried away or even entering into like a lack of order and control that the church just looks weird. And so I, I, the God I know and the Holy Spirit that I know is anything but weird. He is, he is amazing, amazing. And I can't, I can't, I can't communicate that to you apart from a miracle from God, apart from God's spirit and word coming together, apart from, uh, I, I, there are so many different people here, and so many people that maybe have been hurt, I, I, I could tell you stories of people where someone meaning well went up and laid hands on somebody and began to give a prophetic word, and that was the last time they were in church for two decades, because it was filled with shame, it was filled with them looking at the person's life, and then, you know, and then I can also tell you of other people who spoke into somebody's life very loud, very direct, exposed all their sins, and it changed them. But we, this is why it's so important that the Holy Spirit is the one guiding and leading the church in these things. I can't do this. I can't communicate this to you apart from a miracle. And so that's what I'm going to pray for here. And if you'd join me, if you'd stand, we're going to just ask God to help your pastor and to help us as people to really have everything we can that God has for us. And so, Lord, uh, today... I just pray. Well, there are some people here that have never been in church before. There are some people watching online. They've never experienced church. In the Northeast, our culture is not given to that, but um, there are some of us, the only vantage point we have is the Catholic Church, and uh, others, it's a, a, a denomination that didn't believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit and the gifts, and it's going to really take a miracle for you to do this. So I ask that you would just take everything that I say I'm sure there are some things I'm going to say that just are not perfectly worded or perfectly right. I just pray you'd cause those things to fall out of the memory of people's hearts and minds, but I'd pray that you would deep seed 
the truth of your word and it would produce results in our community and in our lives in amazing ways. In Jesus' name, help us, Lord. Amen. Thanks for standing for that. Siente-te, por favor. How do I say that in Portuguese? Please have a seat. Somebody shout it out for me. Ah, thank you. Tuta bem. Tuta bem. Whoever said that, thank you. Uh, by the way, you all need to learn Portuguese. That's the language of heaven. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I thought it was Hebrew, but it's actually Portuguese. So the miraculous gifts. We have a handout for you. If you don't have one and you raise your hand, we could get one to you. But really, you're not going to be able to follow along with this. I do this because I want you to see for yourself what I'm saying. And sometimes the best truth is truth that's regurgitated and reviewed. And you even take this devotionally. But there are things that I got on there that you just couldn't find um, on a podcast or on a uh, conversation or in one particular book. And so uh, I want to help you with that. But I want to read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you have a Bible, if you have a phone with the Bible on it, I'm going to read from the NIV. I say that because some of you might have different versions, but you can select that on there. Uh, I'm, I'm on an NIV run again. Uh, thank you, Mom, my first Bible, an NIV study Bible. And uh, I'm back on the NIV. But I'm going to read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through about 11. 1 through 11. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Corinth. Now about the gifts of the whole... Thank you for taking care of the slides, by the way. Tuto bem. Abrigado. Abrigado. Yeah? Did I get that right? Thank you very much. All right. Now the gifts of the Spirit... Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Pause, pause right there. In chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is talking about eating and drinking food and drinking drink and food sacrifice to idols. You have to understand, in the ancient world, all restaurants were in the pagan temples, and most meals were prepared and sacrificed to a god and in fact paul says in there you were eating food sacrificed to demons so like literally he's saying all of these temples and all of these meals that food that you're eating like it was literally offered up to the demonic and then paul's saying listen i'm in jesus i can eat and drink to the glory of god i'm okay but but their world was surrounded with demonic influence and he says, uh, you know that you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Things in this world, the systems of this world, religions of this world, um, and behind that, demonic forces. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one except the Spirit, uh, the Jesus, uh, no, one no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And now here's where he shifts gear says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit that distributes them. Pause right there. He has to go out of his way to say, although you have different gifts of the spirit, it's all coming from one God. Why? Because in their world, in their town, it would be like going to a restaurant for Mexican food. 
going to a restaurant for Italian food, going to a restaurant for Cambodian and Thai food. You, you go into those places because there's a certain thing that you want, and you would go to those temples because there would be a god behind that temple that was known for helping with something. For instance, the god Apollo was the god of prophecy. The god of Dionysus was the god of revelry. The goddess Aphrodite was the goddess of sexuality. And so you could, you could go to the, the gods, the temple of Asclepius, who was the god, the Greek god of healing. And so he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to understand this. There are a lot of gifts, and there are a lot of places that you could go, but it, what we're talking about here, these aren't going to different gods, and these aren't going, you're going to one god, one lord, the same spirit. In fact, the phrase one spirit is mentioned almost four times in this chapter. So Paul is really important. He's trying to help them understand. Listen, uh, you, you, your God who wants to help you, he's one God, one Lord, and he does anything that you need. In other words, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the risen Lord and Savior, through his spirit, can give you everything that you need. You don't need to hedge your bets to make sure if you get sick that you go to Reiki and that you go to Dana-Farber and that you go to make sure that you have enough money to take care of yourself. In other words, God knows the circumstances, the giftings, the limitations of your life. Anything that you need comes from one God, one Lord, one Savior. Jesus is, I guess I'm saying Jesus is enough. And he's a one-stop shopping man. What's that store that does that? I don't know, 7-Eleven, remember that? You can get anything there. Slurpee, oil for your car. But he goes on, listen to this. There, verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them and in everyone it is the same God at work. Now, and now he gives the famous punch list of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, to each one manifestation, to each one of the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. By means of the same Spirit, to another, faith. By the same Spirit to another gifts of healing, by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits or discerning spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. God bless the reading of his word. Um, to really understand Paul and the Corinthians, you have to understand their world, and it's really not that different from ours. They've got all kinds, of, really, the Corinthians had a unique political, social, cultural, and even economic background that shaped their identity and presented challenges for the gospel. In this room, I, I have to say th that we are an incredibly diverse church, not just uh, ethnically, but socially. 
Um, when, I was, uh, when I was coming back from, from burying my father and I was at my home, there were several of the ladies from uh, this church, but particularly from Kenya, that came to my house and they said, Pastor, we're here today because in our culture, we never leave those that are grieving alone. And they stayed at our house and they brought us, I don't know what those things are called again. Somebody, if you were with that group, shout them out, these, these little beef-filled triangle things. Yeah, I, I, I can't hear you, but I heard someone say it. But like, my, my son was like, oh, dad, you don't understand. Please thank them for that. I had those once before at the missions banquet and I asked, I asked Charity if they would bring that. And so my kids ate all of them along with us. They just devoured them. But I was so touched and moved by that culture. Our, my culture is kind of like, give the person space. We use a weird word called condolences. You have my condolences. What in the world is that? My condolences. It's like, it's like, man, I'm so sorry. If there's anything I can do, let you know. We kind of give people space, and they were just like, we're here to let you know you're loved, and we're with you. We've got so many different types of cultures that are here. We have so many different kinds of economics. There are some of us that are wondering how we can afford our rent, and there are others of us that are kind of wondering, God, how do I properly handle the gift and stewardship that you've given me so that I glorify you, I multiply what I have, and... Um, and that we're able to bless others and we're able to be blessed in the process. And there's nothing wrong with having little or having not. There's just, there's just life and we should be content in the circumstances that God's placed us. It's okay. We, we, I'm just a one-talent guy trying to make two. That's all I am. A one-talent guy trying to make two. Some of you are five-talent people making 25. I'm a one, I, just, I just want to be faithful to what I have, but I'm not angry for what I don't have. And then... There were all kinds of philosophers. There was a style of communication called rhetoric, which basically was like, it doesn't matter what you say, if it's true or not, but it's how good you make the other person look stupid. That, that's a simple way of telling you what rhetoric is. It doesn't matter how, how true the, the, the communication you have is, it's just a matter of whether you can embarrass the other person and outwit them. And, I can turn my television on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and in the political forum, it just seems like a big free-for-all of what used to be news, now is opinion poll, and it's so polarized, and it's so, nobody's getting to the heart of the matter, or the real issues, and I, I, I've just lost all faith in that structure. And I have friends that are in DC, but it's, it's just so crazy. And the Corinthians, they were right down the road from Athens, so they had access to some of the greatest speakers in the world. So when the Apostle Paul shows up and he says, hey, I want to talk to you about being in unity, about not trying to be prideful, about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they wrote this and they said, Paul the Apostle, yeah, his letters are really written really good, but his public presentation is not impressive. They basically said, Paul is boring. In fact, in one spot, the Apostle Paul has to rebuttal them, and he says, I didn't come to you with eloquent speech, with rhetoric, with philosophy. I came to you with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I came to you with truth. It's not how good you can tell your side of the story. It's, it's is it truth? And the wealth, this is the interesting thing about the, this really centers around the Corinthian problem. And this is very much at work in our day today. The Corinthians wanted so much 
to be admired by everybody else. But in their world, you had the aristocracy and the commoners. And really, at the end of the day, the one thing that you had to have to be in aristocracy and to be a person of influence was you had to have a lot of money. But if you had a lot of money, that was the first step, right? And so the city of Corinth is literally between two oceans. And if you come down from what we know as Ukraine, Bosnia, uh, Ukraine, Crimea, through the Black Sea, and then you cut through an isthmus, and then all of a sudden you're right along Greece, you'd come to this little peninsula connecting to the lower land of Greece, um, several miles long, and they perfected this system where they said, why sail your boat all the way around when you can dock here in Corinth and we'll carry your trade goods across land and put them on ships and send it out to the rest of the world. They became so crazy rich off of this, right? How many of you are saying, oh, if I only bought crypto back when I thought about it? If I only invested in Google and Apple back in 1989? Um, they found a way to make lots of money, and they did, but here's the crazy thing. No matter how much money you had, it still didn't make you aristocracy. You had to have a whole bunch of other things that, that backed you. You had to have education, a family history, political involvement, social connections, and support even of other uh, people in aristocracy. And even though they lived right down the road from Athens, and their houses were in some ways even just as good, if not better, and the city is filled with all of these rich people paying for public buildings and donating things all over the place, and they put these little monument markers that literally you could find more of these dedication people that bought a building for the city or donated it, which is something that you would do if you were, you were, an, arist you were an aristocrat. The Corinthians have more of these in their city than the entire country of Greece across the entire land. They were desperate to be viewed in a good way. Insecurity makes you do some pretty foolish things. They were just so insecure about themselves. And this is, what, this is what causes a problem for the Apostle Paul because they also are surrounded by idolatry. They're not Jewish people with a background of some kind of religion. There are many of us that are in this church that we, that we were going through life. We had no, no reference point to who Jesus was, no Christian upbringing, no exposure. We never even heard the gospel. And then someone explained it to us, and we're like, why, isn't all the, why haven't people who I know who know Jesus ever shared this with me before? And, and we step into that. But these guys had no reference point. They were used to going to Asclepius for healing, to, to Apollo for prophecy. They were wide open to the gifts of the Spirit in some ways more so than the church in America is today, because that was part of their world in their, in their worldly culture. They were just wide open to the mystical. They were used to seeing these kind of things, but the problem was is that they took the gifts of the Spirit the same way that they took all of these other things and they were filtering it. The problem was they were filtering it through a desire to be respected, to be 
honored, to be valued, to be um, looked up to, and in their goal, that was the drive and goal of their life, to have security and wealth and all of this, that that was their purpose for being. They literally took the things of God and tried filtering through that, and Apostle Paul was like, you guys are out of control. Because someone would show up at church, and it wouldn't be that they would have a word from God. They'd have ten words from God. And it was almost like people were, were running around saying, look at me, I'm spiritual, I have these gifts, I can do this. I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm, I'm, I'm anointed, I'm going to lay hands on you. Or even back in the day where people would line up and, you know, there's a reason why your pastor doesn't always get down here when I call people forward for prayer, because there was this disease back in church that thought that, well, surely if the pastor's praying for me, a miracle happened, wouldn't it be greater if all of a sudden somebody like my wife or somebody like my mom or somebody like Carl all of a sudden is praying for you and we're like I got a I got a diagnosis of cancer it's a death sentence and they say I got six months to live and they're just like oh my goodness I don't know what to do but God does and they begin to pray and then all of a sudden you go back for an MRI and the cancer's gone well if I do that you're gonna say of course you're the pastor I got the power. He drives out demons and heals people. Split. Um, the Apostle Paul is saying, first of all, it's one spirit, one God. He's your source. But have the right motivation, too. This is about the spirit determines who's going to do what. You know what would amaze me is, is, is that some of you who are the least, maybe in the, the least secure, that actually your prayer and your sincerity could be the very thing where God says, boy, if I do a miracle through that person, they're going to be like, that was God. Where if God did it through someone else, it'd be like, if I do it through them, they're going to absorb that glory and that attention and try to market it and that's what the corinthians were doing and i just thought you know our world is filled with so much stuff that competes for our world view of how we should look what we value what drives us listen at the end of the day you should be driven by one thing and one thing alone that God loves you and that you love him and that through you, the greatest gift that you can give this world more than anything is, is love. It's the greatest gift you could give this world is love. But it's not the only gift. And that's where the Apostle Paul comes in. I just think sometimes, why can't we be content with the simple, true version of who we are? Why do we have to hide the imperfections of who we are because to be honest with you, if you're honest about yourself with others, sometimes that humility and that vulnerability actually encourages someone else to say, I, I feel the same way also. I didn't know someone else felt that way. Um, and I think also the true version of ourself really embraces our limitations. And the problem that you see in the Corinthian church the, there's this phrase that comes up in Greek over and over again. Paul says, do not be puffed up, but rather build up one another in the, in the love of God. And the Corinthians, they really had a puffed up version of who they were. 
And how exhausting is that? Like, come on, we've all done it at some point in our life where we want to make sure the best version of ourselves is there. What, a, what an exhausting way to live our life. To just constantly, or we don't want anyone to see the bad aspect of who we are, so we, we hide it. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some issues in our life that we need to be sharing with trusted people, close friends. We shouldn't be, you know, we should be translucent uh, and honest, but, but at the same time, there are some of us where we don't want anyone to see any of our imperfections, and we spend so much of our time and energy in trying to keep everything hidden from everyone else that, that, that we don't really live fully in the love and peace of God that he has for us. So Paul says, hey, listen, let's drop all that. What if God had what you needed? What if you didn't have to run around to all kinds of places? What if, what if there was a better use of your time and resource instead of trying to put attention on yourself or trying to better just to better you yourself? Or what if we put all that energy towards God? And so he begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, before I get into this a little bit more, let me just, uh, let me just say this. There are kind of a couple of views of the Holy Spirit that are out there. Um, I'm going to simplify it because there's really tons of views, but I would say there is what I would say what we are in this church, what this church as a whole is, is the open view that God is moving in the world through the Holy Spirit the same way that he did in the book of Acts and in the early church. And that's, a, that's an open view. He's, he's at work. And we believe that in, this leadership, in the leadership of this church. And then there is another view, and I've oversimplified it by cutting it in two. I'd put a cautious view in the middle. Yeah, God moves, but we need to be careful. And, but um, there's extremes on all ends. There's a sensationist view, and it says, the gifts of the Spirit were during the time of the book of Acts, but when the apostles died, that was the end of that age. They were only reserved for a time period in history. Have any of you ever heard that before, like the two views? Yeah. Some of you may have grown up around those views. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm about as excited of the God no longer moves this way view, the cessationist view, about as excited as I am about the crazy free-for-all in the spirit that says if God didn't move in a dynamic, mystical, crazy way, he didn't move, that we're driving, and sometimes we kind of like, acts uh, in our intentions are well, but we kind of just facilitate moves of God and, and uh, all kinds of crazy things happen on the other extreme. But I think the truth is somewhere in the middle on this, but certainly not that the gifts ended. Uh, so the, the cessationist view says that the, the gifts ended with the apostles. That's it. Well, I'm going to oversimplify this and just say a couple of things about this. Uh, he, one of the verses they'll run to is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and they say, in former times God spoke to us through the prophets, but now he speaks to us through our son, his son. And um, this view will say, and they're well-intended because they're trying to avoid the crazy extremes that are there, but they're, they're like... Listen, God's given us everything we need, and it's in this book. Yes, that's true. 99% of what God does in our life will be practical, and it'll come out of this book. And if you read it more than four times a day, your life will be transformed. And it is wisdom, and God brings back to remembrance, just because you read it today and it means nothing, that, man, you will be surprised. The Holy Spirit says that he will bring, God, Jesus says, he will bring back, the Holy Spirit will bring back to remembrance the things that I spoke to you. In other words, God, you keep sowing this word in your life, and God 
God has this way of like all of a sudden throwing a verse and saying, man, that's the answer. I mean, God's really practical, but he's also sometimes um, involved in our life and our situation in a providential way. But what Paul and what I'm trying to say to you is, is that sometimes he even works in a mystical way, a, m- a miraculous way with the gifts of the Spirit. And to say that that verse in Hebrews is trying to say that that's the, that's the one that says God spoke through the prophets, but now he speaks through Jesus. It's just, it's not even what, Paul, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. It's just proof texting the experience, and it's an oversimplification of it. Uh, they would, that group, this particular group, whom many people who I know and love and respect are in that camp, and maybe you're here today and you're, you would say, um, yeah, I'm kind of of that group. I, I, I don't think that that stuff happens anymore. One of the things they say is, hey, listen, the apostles were the ones that were working in the miraculous in that time of Jesus, and the apostles aren't around. In fact, in order to be an apostle, you had to have been with Jesus. When Judas had hung himself and Jesus had ascended and the disciples were sitting around saying, now we're supposed to bring this gospel. We're waiting for for the promise of the Holy Spirit, but we need to replace Judas. Um, Let's figure out who it is. Okay, it has to be somebody that was with us from the beginning with Jesus and when John was baptizing. And so they pull out a couple of people and they say, hey, Mattathias is one. And they roll the dice, they throw, they try to figure out, okay, let's find somebody to replace Judas. That's just them groping through history in that moment. The Apostle Paul, who the New Testament calls an apostle, was never with Jesus. He was alive at the time of Jesus, but he wasn't. In fact, he was alive and active more when the disciples were doing what they were doing, and he was having them executed and murdered. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, the Bible says he was, walk, he was walking on the road to Damascus, and he had a vision. He fell from the horse, and a voice spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are, you? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Jesus was already gone, and he, he had an, a person who was an apostle. And uh, I don't want to belabor this because it's really not in the world that we live in, but if you're from that particular group, I think that shows that apostles didn't have to simply be the people that were with Jesus physically, but Paul, the apostle, is somebody who Jesus revealed himself. And I believe today Jesus is still showing himself, and the gift of an apostle is still at work in the kingdom of God. There's some people that walk around with the title. I'm not a huge fan of that. If you've got to walk around and call yourself a title or apostle or a prophet and, uh, uh, and everybody has to refer to you that way, that's just too egotistical. Um, but there are people that have a gift where they just multiply the kingdom of heaven and they lead in ways and they church plan in ways that just normal people don't do that. So where was I going with that? Nowhere fast. Here's the other one that people say why the gifts aren't at work today. If you read in between chapter 12 and 14, 12, 13, and 14 is the biggest stretch of talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Paul puts in the middle of that the instruction of love. The great, it's not a marriage passage. It's actually a gifts of the Spirit package. That's what it's speaking to, the gifts of the Spirit. Sorry, if, how many of you had that read in your wedding? I'm sorry. I know you love each other and you love that passage, but it's actually speaking to the motivation, which was the real problem, the motive of the Corinthian people, which was to puff themselves up, look good, look spiritual, look at me, and uh, 
uh, I've got this gift, I've got that gift, and I'm closer to Jesus than you are. And in the middle of that, he says, let me tell you a more excellent way. What excellent way? An excellent way of being a spiritual person, an excellent way of letting God move through you. Let God move through you in patience. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not self-seeking, it's not rude. It does not keep a record of wrong. Isn't it amazing to think that when he was speaking about that, he was actually speaking about how you present yourself to the world around you. And so they just shifted their idol from make yourself look good to the world, be rich, be an aristocrat, and then they shifted it to be spiritual and anointed. And they were still trapped in the idolatry of self-image, of how they looked. They just shifted and changed idols, and they were right in the church with it. And God, Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way. And in fact, at the end, he says, and now these three remain. Where there are pro he says this, he says, where there's, where there's tongues, they will, they will be stilled. Where there's prophecy, it will cease. Uh, where there is uh, faith, uh, where, where there are miracles, they, they will end. And then at the end, he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And what the when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. And so what they say is, is the gifts are no longer at work in the church, in the kingdom of God. God doesn't move that way anymore because he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but now he's talking about how <coughs> when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. He's not speaking about, he's not speaking about uh, the end of the apostles. There's nothing in there that makes any mention whatsoever that this is speaking about the end of the lives of the apostles. In fact, he goes on after he says that, and he begins to give more instruction about the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about is this, that most likely, two one of two things. One day we will be in heaven, and there will be no need for wisdom from God because we will possess it. There will be no need for knowledge because we'll know it. There'll be no need for faith because we won't need it. We'll be surrounded by the glory of God. We'll be in the presence of Jesus. Those things, those burdens will no longer be on our shoulder. How do I work this out? How do I fix this? How do I save my marriage? How do I keep, how do I get that house? How do I, those, those things are going to be gone. We're not going to need a word from God. We're not going to need faith anymore. So when the, when the perfect comes, that's, that's in the time of Jesus. Or he's just trying to show that, listen, you got so much emphasis on the miraculous here, you're missing the practical in that it is more important that you're a loving person than a miraculous person. There are, I've seen some incredible miraculous things, and, and I'll share those with you in just a moment, but, but more than anything else, the moments of loving moments when my life was a mess and I shared everything with my parents and my mom who's here and, and they wrapped their arms around me and they told me they loved me after some of the most difficult confessions of my life. Things that we don't even choose to share with our parents. Well, well they're still, I just shared those and they were just like, we love you and God's gonna help you. And just those moments where someone says, man, I love you. That is such a perfect thing. But it's not a perfect world, and we, we need love, but we also need gifts of the Spirit. What, what does that mean when the perfect comes? So that the gift of faith is the only gift that stays with us? That's not what he's talking about. So most of you are like, no duh, pastor, we're a Pentecostal church, and we're all in here, and so just 
jump into it. He's talking about something that'll happen in the future. It's a figure of speech. I think not only the biblical record doesn't agree with this view, but the historical record. And I'm not gonna read off all of these, but I just, I knew I could give you something that you couldn't get from a book or from chat GBT or from a search on Google or even from any typical kind of person out there. This is my, my spot. And so all through here, it talks about, these are historical statements throughout the church history where the gifts of the Holy Spirit were at work, where people are saying they're here. Like, for instance, Justin Martyr, he's literally, uh, you know, 70 years past Jesus when he was born. So this is literally like about 100 years when he's in his ministry, 100 years after Jesus, and he says, the prophetical gifts remain with us even to this present time. If Corinthians meant that when the perfect comes, there'll be no need for prophecy, that wouldn't be happening. But he's saying, listen, just for the record, across history, Jesus has been gone for 135 years, and we're still seeing God move in the prophetical gifts. Uh, one guy, Irenaeus of Loin, said, in like manner, we do have many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. Uh, Tertullian said this. He said, in the church, God has, it in, God has its operation, which you do not, oh, never mind, let me skip that one. If anyone among you in the church appears to have received a healing by revelation, hands do not need to be laid upon them because the matter is manifest. They used to believe that you would lay hands on someone and say, oh God, fill, fill them with the gift of the Spirit. And they're like saying, if they've already been used by God to heal someone, God just stepped in. You don't need to affirm and confirm that. In fact, a very famous person in church history, Augustine, started out the first part of his ministry denouncing the gifts of the Spirit. He was a cessationist, and then later on, towards the latter part of his life, as he began to experience and see the church at work as a whole, it says that one of the most influential fathers here discussed in the gifts of the Spirit, he says, on the catechism and the uninstructed, he mentions the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the gift of miracles, and the gift of discerning of spirits was all at work. I could go on and on and talk to you about the 100-year prayer meeting that happened in the Moravian church, this group that goes back to Germany where the gift of, of speaking in other tongues was the gift of prayer, as he referred to it. John Wesley himself, the father of the Methodist movement uh, that was all way, going all the way through the 17 and the 1800s, he says that he described people being filled with the Holy Spirit speaking languages that they haven't learned. And then, of course, the famous one for people in the Assemblies of God is the Azusa Street Revival in California, a man by the name of Frank Bartleman, who was there, who was writing a publication of everything that was happening from the beginning on. He says, demons are being cast out, the sick healed, many blessed, uh, blessedly saved, restored and baptized with the Holy Spirit and power. Heroes are being developed, the weak made strong in the Lord. The, I believe that the, both the biblical record, the theological record, and the historical record do not support that the gifts have stopped. They don't. Unless we just can write these people off and say they're just wackos, you know, they all conspired together. They can't. They're thousands of years apart from each other. <laughs> so what are the gifts of the Spirit, and what do they look like? And how do we 
get them? And how do we, some of you might be thinking, because we're a Pentecostal church, right? You should have started with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and went on there. I, I didn't feel led to do that. In fact, I wasn't even thinking about it. And so we'll talk about that before the summer's out. But I want you to hear the what of the gifts of the Spirit first here. Let's talk about the word of wisdom. Uh, Logos Sophia. It's wisdom given to meet a particular need or solve a, pro- a specific problem. It's, uh, it's enough wisdom to meet that need. Not ra- it's not like we get raised up to be a person of wisdom like Solomon, but a word of wisdom would be where somebody is sharing something with somebody and all of a sudden it's the wise thing to do in that moment. I mean, if you don't experience the gift of wisdom in your life, just read one chapter in Proverbs a day. There's 31, one for every day of the month. You will be the wisest human being. I will be like, why is that person so smart? Why are they so wise? It's because you're grabbing that in a practical sense. Grab that, but there are some times where you really need God's help. Let me me give you with each, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share these, and then on top of that, on top of sharing the scripture with you, I'm going to also give you other scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament, which I think gives us an idea of what these look like. Now, the Old Testament isn't this thing that God cut out of the book and threw away when the New Testament came. Jesus said not one jot or tittle, not one small or large stroke of of the law will I throw away. He's the fulfillment of that law. Some of it fell away. We don't have to, uh, you know, offer up animals anymore or whatever, but there are many moral And there are very many moral truths that pass on to us, moral principles that come on to us. And and I think it's the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. You see a lot of these at work, particularly the number one miracle workers of the Old Testament, Elijah and Elijah. And a lot of those you see redone in Jesus, and you also see redone in the the book of Acts. And I also see re-happening today in the day that we live in. So I'll I'll give in each of these just the description of it, some verses and some examples in the Bible, but then I want to share some personal stories. And uh, is it okay if I share my personal stories with you? Here's the thing. Some people would say, you know what? Your personal experience is your experience. That means absolutely nothing. Turn to your neighbor and say, turn your brain on real quick. Could you do that? Turn your brain on. One of the hardest reads I ever had to read in my life is a book on philosophy by a man by the name of Michael Pollyani. It's a book called Personal Knowledge. If you have ever read this, you'll know what I'm talking about. This is, uh, I actually have a degree not only in first century culture, history, language, and all that, but I also have a degree in semiotics, which is actually looking ahead of the curve. A lot of people are getting hired for, it's being able to look ahead where trends going. It's used a lot in uh, culture, in economics, in stocks, and you know, all kinds of different things, like this ability of like, how do you think ahead of the curve? One of the hardest books I ever read, and back in, the, for the past 100 years, everybody's been saying, Forget your personal experience. It's subjective. Be focused strictly upon empirical data. Everything has to be put in a test tube and tested. And Pollyani, back in 1950s, way ahead of his time, said, no, your very experience is impossible to separate from the truth as you know it because you've encountered it. In fact, what good is it for you to read about something in Scripture and never encounter that in your life? 
What good would it be for you to read about the love of God and never encounter the love? And how could you explain the love of God to somebody if you've never experienced the love of God? It makes absolutely no sense. So I'd propose to you the experiences that you've seen and had, those are actually legitimate. They might need some filtering through with some of the things because sometimes we're human. People insert their ego into things. People insert carnality into things. But if you filter through it, there, there's a portion of God in that that's very important for us knowing how God works and, and finding truth through our experience. So I've given you a scriptural look at the gifts. I've given you history's testimony that the gifts have not stopped, scripture's testimony that the gifts haven't stopped. And now let me just give you along with these additional scriptures and personal experience. Let me start with the word of wisdom. I have a friend who is a powerhouse in, the, in biblical scholarship. His name's Richard Cleave. He wrote two Bible satellite atlases. All of the great people in Israel contributed to it. He was a photographer. He was a, 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 he was a surgeon that worked for the British Army, and he would fly around Israel, and he has some of the best photographs uh, in the world of Israel because it was right before it got developed. He was taking these in the 60s and the 70s. He had some of the best equipment, which you can't really uh, tell too, too much uh, a difference between on printed page what he does and some of the stuff done today. In fact, it's better. As a surgeon, he had this way of getting an angle until he flew around. He had the Israeli Defense Department fly him around through Israel with a helicopter. He'd get to the right altitude, the right angle, click. He's been published in everything from Time magazine to his own works. And so he's a friend of mine through a professor, and he said, Paul, I want you to be a part of me republishing this work. I want you, along with you know, your friend Wave, to do this. And so I was excited about this. And at this time, I was working with a group that traveled back and forth to Israel that I was working with. And so I said, why not connect my friends together? The problem with these two friends is not only are they incredibly scholarly, incredibly famous and good at what they do, they also are incredibly notorious that when they get mad at somebody, they decide to sue them. And I'm in the middle, hi, hi. And they had a disagreement between the two of them and they start throwing the word sue all over the place. I felt like a child of divorce. My mom and my dad, who I love very much, all of a sudden are parting ways and they're ripping the house apart and it's all falling and the burning pieces are falling on me. And I am like, I don't know what to do. And this is when, at that time, Charles Crabtree was the president of the school. And I, I, I called up Charles Crabtree, Dave, and I, I, he's just a witty, great, great leader, but I said, President Crabtree, I, I got a real problem. I got two friends, I brought them together. I'm working with one traveling to Israel, I'm working with the other republishing their work. And the two of them, for some reason, have an ego, and both of them are throwing the word sue, and they've put me in this conflict pyramid, and I don't know what in the world to do, and I just, and then all of a sudden he says, I got it. This is what the Lord wants you to do. He talks like that. This is what the Lord wants you to do says, say to them, and send them both an email and say, the current reaction between the two of you both has given me pause. And so I, I'm just going to step back from this situation. And I did. And you know, it was amazing, that one little sentence, email, I was out of the loop and all the, all the lawsuits dropped. And they were good at lawsuits. 
That was a word of wisdom from God. Have you ever had somebody, and believe it or not, this gift of the Spirit happens in conversations in the church, and we don't even know it's happening. I really believe that. It just, all of a sudden, you just get this idea in your head and in your heart, and you're like, this is what you need to do. And God is constantly giving wisdom. It's not an elevation of wisdom and an elevated state of wisdom like Solomon. It's just a specific word for a specific need to a specific situation that just amazingly is the right step that just neutralizes or updrafts whatever you need and it happens. How many of you could use a word of wisdom in your life right now? You're in a difficult situation, and you're like, I don't know. It's like, no matter what I do, it's wrong, and that's where I was, and then this person comes in with this word of wisdom, and instantly, it stopped. God's at work in the church today with the word of wisdom, at least in my life, and I think many of you would say the same. What about the word of knowledge? This logos gnoskos, to, some, uh, to know something previously known by supernatural means. There's an interesting verse in the Old Testament where Elijah, the prophet, he's constantly going to the king of Israel and he's saying, listen, your enemy up north, the king of Syria, it was called Aram at that time, the king of Aram, he's, he's going to be sending an army this way and that way and all of a sudden the king of Israel would totally move his, his soldiers to a different place and he'd never catch them. And one, of the, one moment, the king of Aram, the king of Syria, is like, I just don't get this guy. He's, it's driving me nuts. I can't capture this king. I can't stop him. And it's in, uh, first king, it's in 2 Kings 6.12. It says, it says, O king, the prophet Elijah tells the king of Israel exactly what you're saying in private in your bedroom. How did he know that? He wasn't hanging out in his room. He didn't have a spy network. God supernaturally gave him a snippet piece of knowledge that changed the whole situation. Every single one of us have said, if I only knew then what I know now. But many of us say, I really need to know this or I'm in a serious situation. Or I wish... God would show me, and I could know this. This has been, one, uh, in fact, in, in Exodus 31, the men that made the tabernacle and old, overlaid it with gold, they didn't have the skill and knowledge on how to do that, but God said, I have, I have anointed Beziel and his friend, and I have gifted them with the knowledge of work in metal and artisanship and and some, some people, you have an artistic gift from God. That's a gift from God. That's not, but there are some times where a specific word, and this is what it's talking about, is not just a gift, but a word of knowledge, something that you know. So I'll never forget this. I was in Bible college. I wanted to know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there was this guy, Bill Alsup. He was a little bit eccentric. He was one of those guys, every time you saw him and he wanted to pray for you, he'd say, lift up your hands. Imagine if I did that to you as your pastor. Alicia Nichols, lift up your hands, and then you'd have to throw them up in the air. Go ahead, throw them up. There you go. All right, I just wanted to. So, and then you'd do that, and he'd walk up to you, and he'd put his hand on your forehead, and you'd be like, "Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? This is going to freak me out, right?" And and so he did that, and I'd been saying in my mind, in my mind, 
man, I want to ask, I've been, I pre-rehearsed this conversation. Man, I've been wanting to ask you questions about the Holy Spirit, but now that I got you, uh, let, me, let, let me ask you a couple questions because he just moved in them constantly. And I said to myself, oh, you know, maybe, maybe this is my chance, I'll say this. And all the way across the room, about the distance of here, all the way to the back of the building, he, this big Easton Hall, he goes, lift up your hands, brother. I'm like, I didn't steal anything. And uh, he goes, You've been wanting to ask me questions about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to tell you anything. God's going to tell you. And then he put his hand on me, big slap mark from him, and he prayed, and there was like this incredibly beautiful presence of God. And I can say now, 30 years later, he was absolutely right. But he took the words that were in my mind and put them on his mouth. Let me give you another example of this. Uh, this is a story I've worn out here, but it's really fitting because my mom's here. We were in, uh, Diana had been going to a doctor. They've been doing blood samples. Um, we were trying to figure out there was something wrong. She was trying to figure out what it was. And then my mom calls. I pick up the phone. I go, hey, mom. Now, my mom, if you've met her, she's very quiet. She's very introverted. She's chill. She's not a charismaniac. She's not going around, lift up your hands, you know. She's just a really laid-back lady. But I'll, I'll never forget this moment, Mom. You call me up, and you're like, hi, honey. I'm like, hi, Mom. And she goes, I've been praying for you. And I'm like, that's cool. You're my mom. Of course you're going to pray for me, right? And then you said, I was in church today, and I felt like God was speaking to my heart that you're about to go through something. You and Diana are about to go through something. And then I said, oh, thanks for the heads up, Mom. She said, no, you don't understand See, I've been telling this story before, but it's, it's the truth here. You don't understand. I, I, it was in the middle of pastor preaching, and I stood up and I said, I feel like we need to pray for my son and my daughter-in-law. And the pastor said, I was thinking the same thing. It's Pastor Joyce. And she said this. She said, I don't know what you're about to go through, but whatever you're about to go through, God wants you to know it's going to be okay. And I hung up the phone, and we're trying to process, what does that mean? I'm going to get hit with a car, I'm going to have to drink through a straw, my wife's going to change my diaper, and I'm going to be okay. Like, what, what does that mean, right? And then the next moment, I think it was, it might have been the next day or the next moment, I always get these blurred together, but the phone rings, we pick it up, and we go, hello, this is Dr. So-and-so, is Diana there? I go, well, I'm her husband. And uh, I have no, no knowledge of hip acts. They're like, they're not going to tell me anything. They put it on the phone and they say, we suspect you have a brain tumor and you need to come in right away. And that solved the mystery of what was going on. She had surgery. Listen, God does miracle, but most of the time he uses people. And we're in one of the greatest places in the world for surgery. They, they did surgery and she's fine and she's clear. It was, uh, it was wreaking havoc on her, on her body chemistry, but... How could my mom know that uh, at the same time that a pastor's knowing that, that? And she had a word of knowledge, and she called up and know. And you know what the comfort of that was? That when, we, when you hear brain tumor, you think terminal cancer. But it was going to be a time of trial, and God wanted us to know it's going to be okay. How many of you in your trial right now, if someone were to turn to you and tell you something that you didn't know, like that would be something like that, that's a beautiful gift. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. And, and I could go on and on on this, but I, I, I can't. Let me just rein through these and, and do it. I'm going to ask the team to come up, and I'm going to just quickly go through. Well, wait, hold one second. 
Uh, the gift of faith, a supernatural belief that results in an outcome that God intended, a person who, uh, against all odds, has something different uh, from pers perseverance, a different perspective. Uh, it's not just a confidence. It's, it's a confidence in peace uh, or an audacity to act and wait on what they, they just know that they know that God's going to do it. I think the big Old Testament example of this is when Elijah says, there will be no rain for three years except at my command. And he walks off, right? And then all of a sudden it starts raining like yesterday. Pshh. There's no legitimacy to that, but that guy went out and he said that with faith and walked away fully confident and there wasn't any rain for three years except at his command. And this is probably the gift that I'm most jealous of because I, am, I, have, the, I have the ninth gift of the Spirit which is called anxiety, stress, fear, and worry. Does anybody have that? They're all the same Greek word mixed together, but... <laughs> how I wish I had that, but some of you have that peace and that, that aspect. And then healing. Um, we, we, we're just to keep it, the lame man at Gate Beautiful, and we could go on and on of the, the kid that was dead, and Elijah did this weird thing where he spread out over the child, and he came back to life. And um, we could go on and on of like healings. I have a friend that was in a wheelchair and she had a debilitating disease and she hadn't walked around. She went from walking to moving slow to a cane to a wheelchair. And I watched her get out of a wheelchair and run around the room, saw it with my own personal experience, my own eyes. God's gifts are, have not ceased with the apostles. They're here with us today. They're beautiful. They're not intended to bring attention to ourselves. We do not possess the gift. God gives the gift as he sees fit, which means any of you can be used by God at any time by any one of those gifts. And Paul says this, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. He's saying, be hungry for them. Be asking God. Say, God, use me in some kind of way, not to bring attention to myself, but to bring help and hope to somebody that desperately needs to know that God still miraculously is keeping an eye on them. Sometimes just practically living out your Christianity can make you weary. Some of you in this church have been living faithful for Jesus for a very long time, and you are weary, and you're wondering if God still knows you, if he still knows your suffering and your situation, and he does. And Paul says eagerly, what if the answer and the gift that I need is going to come from your life, but you're not seeking it, you're not asking him for it, you're not open to it. God wants you to just open your life, and it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be strange. It could be as simple as a, I know exactly what you need to do. Tell them this situation has given me pause. It's when you have this thought running over in your mind, I feel like so-and-so is going through something. I don't know what it is, but God wants me to encourage them. Pick up the phone and call them. How many of you have ever been up in the middle of the night praying for somebody, but you never did anything other than just pray for them? Or you didn't pray for them, you went back to sleep. Don't raise your hand, because this, this will expose you, but, but all of us have, right? That was God. What if you were eagerly, eagerly just open, and all of a sudden that person says, hey, I was up last night praying for you. I was thinking about our friend Anthony, where his parents were attacked and mugged on the road. His father's neck was broken. His mom was broken in multiple places. And at that time, all over the world, there were people that were waking up, praying for them the very time that that situation was happening. 
Like, they're not just pictures on the back of the wall, these missionaries. And these are ways that we can participate with the work of God. And miracles, uh, I, I, there are examples that are there. Prophecy. Um, let me tell you the most embarrassing moment of prophecy in my life, right? Here, here, here it comes. This was, I don't know if you'll remember this, Mom. I think you will. There's this African guy that came to my little tiny church of 50 people in Connecticut. His name was Brother Enti. He was the equivalent in his country. In fact, he was from, I want to say he was from Kenya. His name was Brother Enti back in the 80s and 90s. He was like this big figure, like, like Billy Graham's name in the United States. And he was just really used supernaturally. And he, he was there in church. I'm going to walk down, but he was, he was in church service. And he's, he gets up to preach. And it's only 50 people in a church, right? Like it's just tiny, you know? And he's, he's, he looks, he looks at the Bible and he stops and he, I'm going to walk in front of the speakers just so you guys are warned. And he, he gets down off of the, 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 the platform, right? Uh, no joke. Mom, do you remember this? Not yet? Okay. Okay. She's, she's, she's 80. Give her, give her. She, all of a sudden, right, like this is crazy. She starts, he starts walking through the aisle and he's like, people are like, excuse me, this is a church of 50 and this is like, we're, I'm not going to do this to you. I love you too much. I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> Raina, there we go. So all of a sudden, he stops right in front of me and he says, young man, I came to this church to preach a word, but the Holy Spirit told me to speak this word right here to you. And he began to expose every sin in my life. That Bible verse in the book of Revelation where it says, oh, that the mountains would fall on us. I'm like, oh, kill me, please. <laughs> he would say, God knows when you're doing drugs. God knows when you're, 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 you're uh, being sexually perverse. He, God knows when, and he would look at me and he'd do that, and then he'd look around at the rest of the church and he'd be like, but God loves his children. <laughs> He's patient with the children. This went on for 35, 40 minutes. Don't tell me the gifts of the Spirit don't exist. I wish they didn't. I wanted to be a cessationist at that moment, but that was a turning point in my life because I was sinning and I didn't care anymore, and God knew it wasn't that he needed to embarrass me. He needed to throw me off and show me he sees everything. And this was such a mature church, right? Like there were tons of bobs in there, right? Where after, after, after service was over, everybody kept coming up to me and they're like, hey, Paul, let's do breakfast this week. <laughs> I had, I had, I want to say I had about like more breakfast appointments than I had days in the week to do that. But like that's the gift of, like the gift of prophecy where, we have people in our church who've called up. I remember, I mean, we've, you've heard the COVID story. I won't go into that, but constantly in this church, I'm telling you, we are a church where God's spirit moves, discernment of spirits. I'll never forget. We're driving down the road. My friend Rico goes by, and we pass this guy on the side of the street, and I say, Rico, let's share Jesus with him. And he was like evangelistic. He like does a U-turn right in the middle of the street, you know, nearly knocks five people over and pulls up. He's like, let's do it. And back in those days, we had these things called tracks because people actually read, you know? And um, there were no digital uh, 
things you could send or QR codes you could scan, but he walks up to this guy and he says, hey, yo, Rico is everything you can picture in the name. He's like, let me tell you something, hey? He goes, hey, we want to talk to you about Jesus. And uh, <laughs> you thought he was going to like offer him like a, an offer he can't refuse. And uh, he, Rico was a Golden Gloves in Lemonster, Massachusetts. He, was, he, he, uh, he used to um, um, be in collections, so to say, and get money from people, if you know what I'm talking about. And, but now he was, he was loving Jesus, and this guy was there, and he's, he's like, oh, thanks. He even takes the track, and he goes, yeah, like, uh, this, is, this, this is good. This, and he even said this. He says, this talks about God, huh? Um, this is where I, I, I want to shed my language when I'm talking about God. I just want to go right to the point and say Jesus, you know? But he goes, yeah, and then my friend Rico stops, and he goes, hey, buddy. He goes, I just want you to know something. It's only by the blood of Jesus that you can be set free. And all of a sudden, the only way I can describe it is that same beautiful presence that we sensed in worship today, flip that on its head, add vomit, the feeling of like you wanted to vomit, and the entire neighborhood just radiated, like all I wanted to do was throw up, I was repulsed, I was anxious, I was, and the guy starts screaming out, he goes, and the only way I can describe it is it was about like 30 voices laid over each other. We won't say it. We won't say it. This is me. You know, you can call me a liar or gifts are not real. I still don't believe you, but he's like, we won't say it. And my friend Rico's like, what's up with this guy? He goes, and he gets his hands up like, <laughs> he's going to knock him out. And he pushes me behind him. And I go, all of a sudden, I go, discernment of spirits. I go, yo, Rico. He goes, what? He's like, I hit this guy. Hold on. I go, Rico, he's demon-possessed. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm just thinking, Dave, you know Rico, right? All of a sudden, his mind just switches gears. And instead of him wanting to knock out, he pulls out his Jesus gloves, and he starts pounding the guy. He's like, say it! It's only by the blood of Jesus! And the guy is like, going, uh, uh, like, I couldn't believe it. I was like looking at a demonically possessed guy, and I thought that my friend would see that, but he didn't see that, and I said, that's what's going on. And my friend starts pummeling the demonic in this person's life to set him free. God's gifts are still at work in the church. They really are. And, and they don't happen, like, on a daily basis. If you read the book of, of, um, if you read the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts just happens over, like, decades. And you think that they're having a here, a miracle there, a miracle everywhere, a miracle, miracle. And we, we kind of, like, be, you can't make these things happen. God makes them happen. But you also can miss them if you're not open to them. And I want everything that God has for my life. Uh, lastly here, and I'll ask the team to come up now. Um, I'll just, tongues and interpretation. Now, what's interesting is, is I wouldn't s say to you that the order that these gifts are in are in order of priority, and Paul puts tongues at the end. Uh, this is probably the one, when everyone's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and kind of feeling uh, anxious and nervous about it, we're usually thinking about people that had no control with tongues and interpretation and all that. And next, uh, uh, next time after 4th of July, we're going to get into using the gifts in a decent, orderly fashion. But um, in, in this whole moment here, 
I'm gonna combine these two and we're gonna close this with a song, but um, tongues and interpretation, literally that word speaking in tongues, glossolalia, or here it's, it's in a plural, glossolalia. Um, it's speaking on a language, but it's focusing on a language that somebody has never learned before. That's an important understanding of that there, the, the definition of this and how it's being used. It's not just a language, it's a language somebody hasn't used before. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, in between there where he's talking about love, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, which tells me that just as there are as many languages on earth, they're probably maybe in heaven, I don't know. But he makes that distinction. He says, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm nothing. And uh, I think PK was there. Your mom, uh, is that Oriana? Yeah? You, were, you guys were here for this. I, you guys are like my proof text. But I'll never forget it, and I've shared this before, but we were in a service, and there's a girl, uh, Valeria Santos, um, and uh, actually it's a Slavic name, not a Spanish name. And so he, she was from uh, Hungary, and she said goodbye to her mom, and she was dying of leukemia, and she didn't tell anybody her baggage or her luggage, and Shemaine comes up, and many of you have heard this story, some of you here in for the first time, she comes up, and God's moving, people are, the teacher just sees that God's moving, it started with a song, and it turned into a move, and the teacher just says, why don't some of you just start to pray for each other? And he goes up, and Shermaine from Manhattan, New York, lays hands on Valeria Santos from Hungary, and begins to pray over her. She begins to pray over her in tongues. And I swear, I thought Valeria had no tear ducts. This girl was a tough, Slavic girl. You Americans are so pathetic. And she starts crying. And there's so much going on, and the teacher kind of gets everybody's attention. He says, Valeria wants to share something with us. And she says this, she goes, you know, when I left home, my mom was dying of leukemia, and I knew if I went to Bible college in the States that she'd probably be gone when I come back, and I was really struggling to do this. And Charmaine just came up to me and began praying over me in tongues, in the Spirit. But she wasn't speaking and babbling. She was speaking perfect Hungarian, and she had no American accent. And God began to speak to me in first person. I'm so proud of you. You'll see your mother again. I'm at work in your life. I know you're, you're, you're paying your tears. Do you remember that? Am I making this up? I got at least two other people that were there. Dave, were you there for that one? This is just amazing. See, I didn't grow up in the Protestant church or the assemblies of God. I grew up in the Catholic church, and thank goodness for the Catholic church. I learned that God exists, and you know, that's, it's a harder reference point when you have no upbringing in that. But I was just wide open, whatever God had. I had no problem with the Holy Spirit. It seems to me like there are so many people that grew up around this stuff that watched it but didn't experience. Those are more of us that struggle with a problem with it. And Apostle Paul says this, hey, listen, let me show you a more excellent way. Do it in love, but don't just stop with love. God has more gifts for the church. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that of prophecy, where you speak encouragement and strength to men. Wouldn't it be something if some of the greatest preaching and miracles in our church began to happen 
not from some word and some song, but from someone picking up the phone and calling someone, you taking an interest in someone and spending time with them and saying, you've been on my heart, or someone sharing their problem and saying, I know what to do. And, and I don't know how to describe it for you other than just, it just, you know that you know that you know, but you also know that the only way it's gonna happen is if you take a risk. I saw a couple when I was pulling in here to church at Dunkin' Donuts. God moves at Dunkin' Donuts. But they were sitting there, and the girl was talking and crying, and the young man was just kind of rubbing his head. And as I was driving by, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, she just found out she was pregnant by him. And can I just say this? I'm not proud of this. I just feel like, that'll just be weird if I go up to them as a stranger. And the more I talked to myself, the more I talked myself out of it. And I rushed here because I was late for the pre-service prayer. I wish I stopped. How many of you came to Jesus from outside of the church? Imagine if someone, you're in the middle of a conversation and someone came up to you and did that. See, I'm saying it to you this way because I think this will help you too. I think sometimes I even wonder, like, man, my reputation is on the line. I don't want to look like a weirdo. I just want to, I think, I want to begin to take risks again to let God use me, not just in the church, but outside of the church. And here's the greatest truth of all we can part with on, is this. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, God specializes in using people who are on the wheel of sanctification, who are not perfect and who haven't arrived. God specializes in that. In fact, if he waits for people to be perfect in order to use them, nobody's ever going to be touched by God through someone else. And that's how he does it. So let's stand. And uh, thank you for letting me carry on here. This is a complicated topic, but I wanted to share through those experiences, cut so many of them out. One, we were there for Brother Lundstrom when he had a collapsed lung and he was in class and we prayed for him. So I even got one documented in a book. If, if you want to hear about it, I could just go on and on all day about this. God's a practical God, but he moves mystically. Could we just say to Jesus today as a church, would you pray this prayer with me? Just open your heart, open your mind. Say, dear Jesus, I want to be practical and I want you to work in my life but I'm willing to take a risk for you to use me mystically. For you to use me through the gifts of the Spirit. Help me to take a risk. Help me to swallow my pride. And help me to make a difference. And Lord, I could use some of those gifts as well. Father, I pray that you would begin to help us as a church to be the healthiest, miraculous church New England has ever seen. Bring a great awakening to us. We're just saying to you today, we're open. We're open. In Jesus' name. Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. 
and follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you, God bless, have a great day.